You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. All righty, folks. Welcome to episode 96 of The Porchcast. It's been uh, a couple weeks since we last joined you, but we are like we thrilled need to applause welcome. track every time. I want, I want, I need like some, I needed like fully in some audience applause every time. Like I'm just so jazzed to get to 100 soon. That's right. Yeah, 96, almost to 100. We've we've got a few special episodes lined up before we get to the big milestone, including one which we're hoping to record during our 10th anniversary porch drinking beer festival. Uh, on October 5th here in Denver, Colorado. But first, uh, we are very lucky to be joined today by Eric Ponce of Firestone Walker Brewing. Eric is our is the barrel manager out there. Eric, how's it going, brother? Doing great, although I was told that I was going to be episode 100. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> Maybe we actually will bring you back as a special uh, reprisal. <laughs> no, I'm great. It's great seeing you, Tristan. Yeah, man. Um, It's particularly fantastic to welcome you to the show. Um, You and I go way back to your Goose Island days, and I definitely want to touch on those those days back in in a little bit. Um, But first, I want to welcome our our co-host, Bryant Vanderweird. How's it going, Bryant? It's going, man. It's going. I'm uh, I'm, I'm out of my studio today, a little bit out of my element, but I'm back in my quote-unquote home studio. Um, But doing, doing well, doing well out here. It's been raining for like three days constantly this is the first day i'm not i mean living out in colorado man it's like three hours right it blows in yeah. out, but in and out but in wisconsin you've begun the day oh yeah five month uh dreariness correct yeah, yeah. i'm i need to up my antidepressants i think so <laughs> well hopefully uh some beer will help to cheer you up a little bit um, i do want to give a special shout out to some of our sponsors and also, uh, unfortunately, uh, our, our co-host Corey isn't able to join us for this episode, but he'll be back for the next one. But uh, first, a big thank you to our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. ONTAP Credit Union isn't your average financial partner. They make banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With ONTAP, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. With ONTAP's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. Member-owned, Colorado Proud, federally insured through NCUA. You can find out more at ONTAPCU.org. Also, because this is a barrel-aged focus episode, I want to give a special shout-out to the website sponsor, Law's Whiskey House. Law's Whiskey House is a local distillery here in Colorado with uh, whiskey available all over the country. They're recently released a bonded corn whiskey, and they're about to release their bonded malt whiskey uh, aged for six years. Uh, They've won a tremendous number of awards, including at the SF uh, Wine and Spirits uh, competition. And, uh, you know, Law's Whiskey House is, is a great, great place to to try a bunch of whiskey because whiskey is above all else. Uh, additionally, their whiskey uh, barrels are used in aging uh, all sorts of beers all across the country. So it's very relevant to our discussion today with Eric Ponce. Eric, welcome to the show, brother. Uh, you know, you and I, we, we kind of teased it earlier, but you and I go way back to your days at Goose Island. Tell us a little bit about kind of your personal journey from starting out um, at one of the, uh, for, the forefathers of barrel-aged beers 
and now kind of your evolution to Firestone Walker. No, I've been I've been very fortunate, Tristan. It's been a it's been quite the journey. My my very first brewing job was at Alaskan Brewing Company up in Juneau for many 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 years, and I I, I actually love living up in Juneau. And then went to school in Germany, and then when I returned, that's when I started working at Goose Island. Never thought I would love living in a big city, Colorado, Alaska. Love the mountains, love snowboarding. Um, I was always in love with Goose Island, the story, the history. Um, they're sour sisters, of course, Bourbon County Stout. So when the opportunity arose for me to take a job out there, I was extremely excited and uh, loved loved my time out there. Learned a lot. Was able to grow Bourbon County Stout. Um, the brands, all the sour sisters, phenomenal experience. And then what about six years ago, my wife and I packed up, moved from the Midwest and came out here to central coast, California, as much as we love the snow, we love wine <laughs> and, uh, past a few people that don't know Paso Robles is central coast, California, um, surrounded by vineyards, over 300 wineries, tasting rooms, 30 minutes from the coast. And of course, I've known Matt Brindelson for many, many years and um, just always had an open door available for me at, here at Firestone. Took that opportunity and have been here, like again, for six years, uh, overseeing mainly the vintage program, all the spirit barrel age beers. And it's, again, it's been a phenomenal journey. That's tremendous. Um, now, now, did you and Matt overlap in your time at Goose Island together? No, we didn't. No, uh, Matt's actually a little older than me, so he was there a little before my time. So we didn't. Is that, is that something you remind him of frequently? <laughs> He's a little yeah. older than. Once in a while, when it, when, it, <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it's relevant. <laughs> How special so my, is it to kind of take that groundwork that he laid in at, at Goose Island and and kind of make it your own while during your time there? Um, you know what what did you in kind of approaching this esteemed kind of barrel aging program, which was still, you know, relatively new at the at the time comparatively, um, and, and and really trying to carry on the tradition of what you know what they started there, but also infusing a bit of your own kind of personality to it. I mean, that's what it's all about. Anytime you go into a new company and they've already got a somewhat of a, an established program and whatever that may be. Um, obviously you want to learn the ins and outs of that program, how it is when you, when you walk in the doors of that, that building, but also once you kind of master those kind of start influencing my personal background, what I learned from all my other travels, going to school in Germany, spent many, many months in Belgium, doing internships around Belgium, um, more of the wood science and chemistry of wood, the wood and what it's actually doing chemically. And then just influencing and doing a lot more different types of spirit barrels as well. Mm. So now I definitely want to dive into some of that science behind the barrel aging program and, and the science behind the wood itself. Um, one of the things that I feel like has really just kind of blown up in the past, you know, five to 10 years has been the use of spirit barrels outside of just whiskey. Um, I know that you all have been very successful at Firestone Walker and utilizing, you know, tequila barrels, mezcal barrels, you name it, gin barrels. Tell me a little bit more about kind of, uh, and, 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 you know, that's become relatively common um, with, you know, with, with wild and sour beers, but I feel like it's become more and more uh, of a common practice to experiment with grain forward 
you know, malt-based beverages, as base beers as well. Tell me a little bit more about what excites you from kind of this, this next evolutionary experimental stage of utilizing specialty barrels. It's very exciting to me. I mean, my wife and I love spirits we have for, I mean, longer than I want to admit. Um, so being able to come here to Firestone, when I, when I arrived, again, most, most of the beers that was, uh, barrel-aged beers that was getting released was bourbon forward, whiskey forward. So I was able to expand upon that, obviously still bringing in bourbons and whiskeys, scotch. My very first beer that I made here was, uh, and I, I love peaty. I love smoky elements. So one of my very first beers that I made when I arrived at Firestone, and I went up to Matt and David, and I go, I got the opportunity to bring in some of my favorite Islay Scotch barrels um, from Ardbeg. And I go, just know people either love or hate that peaty element and, and, and drinks. And they're all, we brought you here, you do whatever you want. I go, okay, I'm bringing these barrels in. Made the beer, released it. I personally loved it. I think Firestone started getting phone calls. 50% of the people, oh my God, it's the best beer you guys ever made. The other 50%, once Firestone's going downhill, you better fire the guy who made that beer. <laughs> so again, I've, I've been bringing in, I mean, the Scotch barrels and just kind of knowing spirits from drinking them for, for so long. I've been, I've, been, I've been gifted lots of freedom working here. I've, like you say, I've brought in numerous types of tequila barrels, Añejo, Extra Añejo, um, Armagnac barrels, Cognac barrels, gins, um, pretty much uh, absinthe barrels, bitter barrels. And it's been phenomenal because I've been in the industry for so long that I've been able to really establish some really solid contacts in the spirit world and a handful of barrel brokers that I've known for 10 plus years that I fully trust. They kind of know my style and what I like personally. So anytime they get something very cool, unique, older, younger, just anything that they feel that I would love to use, I'm, I'm just constantly getting calls. I've been, I've been fortunate in that aspect. And once I bring these barrels in, I know the distiller, I know the distillery, get samples of that spirit, I can taste it and then kind of go back and design a beer that I know will showcase that spirit barrel in all its glory. So it's been, um, it's been extremely fun, honestly. That's Just doing cool. a lot of experimentation at home and tasting and then bringing all that knowledge back here. Yeah, that, you know, that's, I, I think um, that's super interesting because I, I've, you know, listened to you speak a number of different times and um, in doing some research for this episode, obviously there's a number of different factors that can impact you know, barrel-aged beers as a whole. Obviously, the barrel itself, the base beer, uh, the amount of time in the barrels, the, you know, the, the environment that the barrels are in. You know, I think you've touched on that a number of different times. One of the things that I'm wondering about is um, even, even within, say, like a certain specific brand of spirit, like if we were to say, you know, a, a Weller barrel, for example, you know, I feel like there can be so many nuances in the barrel itself based on how the barrel was taken care of, you know, uh, how much spirit, when, when it was actually emptied, when it was brought in. Have you found specific trends um, that you can pick up, you know, besides all these, these nuances that we talk about? Are there specific things that you're looking for in barrels 
um, in terms of, why don't we just narrow it down to whiskey barrels? Are, are there specific whiskey brands that you know you're going to get certain, certain elements from just based on the whiskey brand itself, based on the qualities of the whiskey? Um, and then do you, how do you pair that with, you know, whatever base beer that you're utilizing? Yeah, it's a great question. So again, doing this for so long and bring, have been able to get my hands on so many barrels from so many different distilleries at different age statements. I mean, personally, I know that I very rarely bring in a bourbon that's under six years old, mm. just from, just from experience. You get a lot of, there's so many bourbon barrels now that, I mean, bourbon by law only needs to be matured for two years. So there's so many of those in the market, but when I bring those in, they just don't really work for my personal style. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've tasted lots of beers that have been aged in two year old bourbon barrels and sure. enjoy them thoroughly. But just from on a personal aspect, I really don't bring in stuff under, under six years. Um, and again, it's just from the flavor profiles of the base beers that I make, knowing how that interacts with the younger stuff, I might get too much ethanol, like hot, I, I say the hot character where it's, it's hot, it's young. And then go on touch and base, a little more elaborate, understanding their mash profile, what the grains they're using, is it uh, a straight bourbon? And knowing the, the breakdown of how much corn, barley, or rye is being used. Um, when I bring in the rye barrels, how old is that rye? What percentage of rye was used in that beer? What type of rye? And then again, if it's uh, weeded, how, what's the percent of wheat? I know that might be a little sweeter, a little softer, a little more cereal grain forward. Um, so anytime I bring things in, before I bring something in, I always think of first, I have my whole schedule planned out for the following years, kind of knowing what I want. Certain, certain flavor profiles, do I want a very dark beer, a little more sweet, sweet characters, something a little more barley wine-ish with some, maybe some spicy rye notes. So just kind of working my way backwards and knowing what barrels I brought in in the past and what flavors I was able to extract from that particular barrel. And then going back to that same distillery and kind of see what they got coming down the pipeline. Has there been, you know, do you feel like at this point, you know, obviously you've been given, you know, a ton of uh, bandwidth to, to kind of create and, and do what you need to do. Uh, have there, have there ever been any like moonshots that either a, you were like, I have no effing idea if this is going to work. And then it either did, or you're like, oh my God, I should have listened to, <laughs> should have listened to my gut at first. Like, do you have, you know, obviously it's all experimentation to some degree, you kind of know some flavor profiles, but what are some of your, you know, some of those, those watershed moments for you? Yeah. Perfect example. Um, we did, I don't know if you guys got the 750 milliliter bottle that was a uh, Pappy Van Winkle double barrel tappy so anytime you so we, we released a beer in 750 milliliter bottles last year it spent one year in 15 year old tappy van winkle barrels beer on itself was already perfect i got a call again um, buffalo trade say we released we emptied x amount of 23 very small amount do you want some of these barrels hell yeah i want these barrels <laughs> but, but this is your question it's Yes, the name itself, phenomenal 23-year-old Pappy. But bourbon, uh, scotches can age really well that long, just be the, temp the temperament that Scotland is in, really wet, and the barrels are in beautiful conditioning. 
you know, when you see a lot of these older bourbon, it gets so hot in Kentucky, something that's in barrel for 23 years, for that amount of time, they're going to lose like 60, well, probably 40% of that liquid. So that top section of that barrel is going to start drying out a little bit, allow more oxidation to um, get into the actual spirit. So when I brought out those barrels, to answer your question, I'm like, yes, I want to bring these in. What kind of condition are they going to be in when they get here? Everyone's going to have such high expectations um, just for, for that namesake. So I was excited but scared because, I mean, you really truly never know what condition the barrel is going to be in when it arrives to you and what flavor is going to impart. I kind of know what older bourbons taste like. So I kind of envision that. So after that, after Parabola spent one year in the 15 year old Pappy and it could have been released on its own, phenomenal. But the timing just worked out perfectly that after that one year, they were done, Buffalo Trace was dumping again, got my hands on some 23 year old. So I dumped that beer directly from the 15 and put it into that 23 for an additional six months of finishing and that. And it just picked up obviously more, more ABV. I think that beer came out at 16% alcohol, but from these older bourbons, it was just so smooth. And being that it was aged in our temperature control barrel warehouse where we keep it around 55 degrees Fahrenheit, um, just extracted really softly. And you got just the beautiful antique characteristics that you expect from a, older bourbon but yeah I, I was worried it's like bringing these beautiful barrels everyone's gonna expect liquid gold what if it tastes like i mean awful you never i mean with those ones i never really worked with them so there's always there's always kind of that worry especially when you're bringing in rum or tequilas there's there's always am i gonna open up a truck and half the barrels are gonna be splinters and dry and are they going to be leaky when i empty them so yeah anytime you're dealing with with uh with cooperage and barrels there's always that is this going to work out for them but luckily nope. for the most part it does I, I know that uh in previous kind of in, in previous years i think you kind of alluded to tequila and rum barrels being a little bit hit or more hit or miss mainly probably because distilleries didn't fully understand what those barrels would be used for afterwards, right? Am I, am I correct in kind of that understanding? You are. I mean, when you get bourbon, I always know they're going to be solid. Obviously, when you get older bourbon, you never know. But when you get straight bourbon, because bourbon by law can only use brand new American oak barrels one time, then they need to get rid of them. And that's when the scotch, the tequila, uh, the rum dist distilleries take those from those from bourbon and they'll reuse those barrels for 10, 15, 20 years until they find them not fit. And that's when they finally get rid of them and that's when they get released to us. So, I mean, they're in rough shape, big time. And being, when I bring barrels in, I don't, you can't hydrate them. You can fill them with water. You can rehydrate them, um, let them expand, get nice and tight before you put beer in them. But that's, that also takes away all that flavor, a good amount of that flavor, that spirit that you're expecting to put in the beer that you're going to put in there. So I never do anything to the interior of the barrel. So when I'm bringing in rum or tequila, I open up that door and I have my fingers crossed. I do work with the distilleries, ask them to leave a good amount of spirit still in there, pay a little bit money, more money if we have to, just mm -hmm. so it could uh, 
keep that barrel nice and wet during that longer journey. Um, but sometimes I'm feeling these things and as I'm feeling them, they're just pouring all over the floor. It's messy. I'm getting all angry and you know me, I'm a really peaceful, calm kind of guy. <laughs> I don't think I I've ever like, seen you lose your temper or, or you know. <laughs> very rarely. So you are the nice chillest dude I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm feeling these barrels and they start leaking and then Matt or somebody walks by and they're all, dude, your barrels are leaking, you're wasting beer. I'm about to explode. I'm like, I know it's leaking. Keep on walking. They're gonna expand. So they, I leave them on my 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 problem my product floor for overnight. They usually expand. They they fill up. They expand overnight. They tighten up, and I'll top them up the next day. Nice. So, I mean, working with rum, tequila, some scotch. I mean, I love. It's a love hate relationship. That's all I can say. I love the final product that comes out of it, but. <laughs> Yeah, it, it keeps can be it interesting, interesting, right? It keeps it interesting for sure. Totally. Well, uh, one thing that I know that you've touched on in in previous discussions, but I, I don't think the the general consumer is aware of, but the the base beer that you use for barrel aged beers often isn't going to taste good on its own. Correct. I, I know that, uh, especially when it comes to barrel aged stouts. Oftentimes, you know, you, you don't you don't want the consumer to taste an unbarrel aged version of that base beer. Tell us a little bit about why that is and kind of what it takes to build a, a recipe uh, for a base beer that you know is going to be aged in spirit barrels. Yeah. So I think back in the day, I mean, I mean, Bourbon County Stout was designed to be aged in uh, barrels. But then a lot of other breweries had it and they made it phenomenal, a great standalone stout, stainless, fermented, non-barrel, and like it's beer's phenomenal. Let's age it in bourbon or some barrels and it'll be even better. And that's very rarely the case. I mean, I'm sure once in a while it is. But when you know that you're designing a beer that's going to be aged in a wood vessel, I mean, because oxygen is the number one deterrent of all beer. We measure O2 numerous times throughout the day. I mean, hundred times throughout the day, but wood is a porous substance. So, you know, there's going to be micro oxidation going on. Um, so knowing how long you want that beer to sit in that barrel, you know, if it sits in there longer, again, so what you were touching base on earlier, what environment it's sitting in is the, is the room, is your barrel room temperature controlled or not temperature controlled? What's the humidity like? Um, Cause obviously the longer something sits in the barrel, there is losses and anytime there's headspace in the barrel that allows oxygen to get in. So it's a lot of these things you got to think about, but yeah, when I know uh, when we're designing a beer, knowing that it's going to be aged for at least a year in barrel, you're designing it from the ground up. Um, again, lots of high alcohol helps out. Um, lots of roasted dark malts that um, million reaction when you're roasting and toasting things that creates a reaction in the malt that kind of helps act, act as a natural preservative. Smoked malts help um, that aging ability in a barrel. So yeah, any, any beer that we design, when you taste that base beer, I mean, it's, you're gonna make the face. You're gonna be like, oh, it's, it's astringent, it's bitter. It, it's designed to spend time in an oxidative environment, micro-oxidation to really mal together, really mallow out, and just kind of get a beautiful marriage of flavors with that spirit barrel and just smooth 
to smooth out and, and just to incorporate all of that uh, wood um, extractives that's coming out and the spirit and the, and the tannins that are in wood. So just kind of being in the forefront, it's always what you want the final product to, to taste like and just working backwards, designing the recipe, grains, malts, barrels, time and barrel, temperature and barrel of the room. So there's, there's a lot of thought process that goes in to, to barrel aged beers. Now, I, I don't want to get too far into this discussion without having cracked uh, a beer from Firestone Walker. You all were kind enough to send us um, Parabolita uh, Salted Ooh. Caramel, um, which I'm able to crack right now. I'd love to, to chat a little bit about this. And, and I'm pretty excited because I know this beer is going to be making an appearance um, at the Porch Drinking 10th Anniversary Beer Festival. So um, what better way to tease the event that we've got coming up in less than a month, um, October 5th here in Denver, uh, than by sampling it here on the show with you. So um, based on the can, I know this is a bourbon barrel aged stout with vanilla beans, cacao nibs, and sea salt. Tell us a little bit more about this. And, and that kind of leads into um, you know, my next question in that, I know that Firestone Walker has, uh, you know, had a, a storied history of, of you know, a bear, really strong, clean barrel aging program. But I feel like uh, with your kind of coming on to the team, you you were able to introduce more uh, the use of adjuncts a little bit more. Um, where do you, you know, when it comes to adjuncted barrel aged beers, what is your philosophy? And, and tell us a little bit more about this beer in particular. Yeah. So first off, this is a very momentous occasion. First time opening up a, one of my beers in a can. Congratulations. Oh, just like that, baby. All right. Cheers. Cheers. So yeah, Parabolita. This is our very first um, iteration of a spirit barrel aged beer in a can, let alone a 16.2 ounce can. Uh, love the way it came out. So yeah, this, and then again, we're thinking, I mean, cans are all the rage. We all love drinking out of cans. Do I necessarily want an 18, 16, 18% ABV in a can? I mean, who knows? Once in a while I do. But this, we, the, the ABV is 9.2. So it's, it's still got that excitement, but drinkability as well. And of course, like, and like you said, um, I, I love making it so I'm all about balance. I love making beers that are straight barrel focused, straight spirit focused, straight recipe, just grain focused. But who doesn't love adding things to beer? Who doesn't love adjuncts? My wife's a chef. I love flavors. I love tasting new things, tasting things, elevating flavors that is already coming out of the barrel. Um, there's always a thought process. I know a lot of, a lot of us use vanilla, coffee, chocolate. But it's what type of what type of coffee you're going to be using, what um, bean you're going to be using, what roast levels. Same with cocoa nibs and with everything across the board. Parabolita itself, like you say, it's a salted caramel because you get flavors of a, of a I mean, a salted caramel like dessert. You get the caramel from the from the bourbon from the bourbon barrel itself, and then um, sea salt. So once the, once the beer was aged in bourbon barrels for I think oh, definitely over a year 
empty those bourbon barrels. Bourbon barrels get pushed into a stainless steel tank. We had this special recirculation tank designed for us. So we fill that recirculation tank with whatever advent you can imagine, coffee, cocoa nibs, vanilla beans. And then we recirculate that finished barrel aged beer through whatever advents in that tank so we can do real time flavor. Mm. Back in the day, we, we would have a smaller vessel, fill, fill big tea bags with coffee beans, put them in that vessel, transfer some of that barrel aged beer on top of that. It'll have to spend three, four, five days in the barrel, push it back or in that tank on, on the adjuncts. And you push it back, rouse it up, recirculate it. Hopefully all that flavor extraction came through. But now with this recirculation tank that we use, um, takes, I mean, half the time because it's, you get that centrifugal force kind of moving through every aspect of that bean or cocoa nib. And you can kind of taste it out of the tank, what it tastes like in real time. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so that's been a phenomenal thing. But yeah, this one, we have one of the oldest uh, vanilla importers in, in the U.S. They've been in business third three generations. It's called Cook's Family. They're right here in Paso Robles. And they import vanilla beans. They actually have their own vanilla bean farms on Uganda and Madagascar. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I was there today picking up vanilla beans for a collaboration we're doing with Side Project. So when I walk in this old warehouse, you know how much a vanilla bean is. It's a, they, this building's been around for probably a hundred years. I think they have beams holding it up of vanilla, bricks of vanilla beans. It's insane. You walk in there and they have walls of Uganda, Mexican, Madagascar vanilla beans. I walk in there and they're just letting me taste and smell through everything. I was so, going to say, does that, does the whole, I've never like smelled the vanilla bean, but you know, you walk into a barrel room, it smells like barrels. You walk into a distillery, it smells like, does the vanilla bean room smell like, you know, vanilla bean? What is the. Dude, it's not even a vanilla bean room. It's a vanilla bean block. You get close <laughs> to this, you, you get close to this building and you start smelling vanilla. So vanilla, just like Sim, vanilla is one of those aromas that any single person I believe in the world can smell and it's going to put a smile on your face. It's childhood memories. You have some, some sort of memory of vanilla that just, I mean, I got the goosebumps right now. I was talking about it and smelling this beer. Um, so it's, it's it, yeah, you walk into, like I said, you walk into the building and it is beautiful pictures of them harvesting vanilla beans and Again, we're fortunate. I get to go over there and pick whatever vanilla beans I want to use for the particular beer. I mean, almost that day, like I said, I was there today picking up vanilla beans that I'm going to be using tomorrow. And then salted caramel mudslide went through Madagascar vanilla beans, uh, cocoa nibs, and then a little bit of sea salt, just like mm -hmm. with cooking food. Uh, a dash of sea salt just really brings everything together. You know, it's funny. Uh... We recently, I recently saw a video and it reminded me of uh, this joke that we kind of have for people, you know, Chinese parents when they're trying desserts. The biggest compliment that a Chinese parent can can say or a Chinese person can say when tasting a dessert is, mm, not too sweet. And I, I feel like this is the uh, perfect way to describe parabolita. Uh, I feel like, you know, this captures the flavor profile that you you just described without it being too overly sweet and cloying, do you how, what do you attribute to that? Um, is it is it through that recirculation kind of method that you were able to 
kind of just really get the essence of those those flavor profiles without um, taking too much of the sweetness from it? Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely my perception on um, on how I want to make my beers and Firestone, kind of what their history. I want beers to be extremely drinkable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, we all we all talk about balance. I mean, we definitely all had those pastry stouts where they might be fun. I can personally have maybe like three sips of them and it's yeah. just way over flowing. So every single beer I make, I mean, this is kind of our first, I mean, close iteration of a pastry stout. And it's because you, you get those sweet flavors of vanilla, you get that mouthfeel of the, the chocolate and the cocoa nibs, that sea salt brings, and of course, all those bourbon flavor and characteristics. But like you say, it's, I mean, I can, I can drink a glass of this and enjoy yeah. every single sip and flavor and get the, the, the sweetness, but like in a very balanced way. And it's all about the usage, the raw materials, um, how many pounds per barrel, uh, definitely the recirculation. As, as When I'm recirculating anything, I mean, more specifically, if it's like a cinnamon or a coffee where you can over extract and you start getting more astringent and bitter characters. I mean, I'm tasting that tank every hour. And as soon as I feel that it's done, I, we stop the research and the beer is done. Mm. So that research definitely helps out um, where you can just be tasting in real time and just like hit the stop button, hit the stop button. <laughs> And, and we re, when I recirculate, a lot of times, a lot of uh, some breweries might uh, just put everything in a tank and it saves time, saves, saves main, mainly time. But I, I re, if I'm doing three different adjuncts, coffee, say it's coffee, coconuts, vanilla, it's always gonna be on a separate. So I'm gonna put the vanilla in first, wait till I get the vanilla to the perfect level, knowing that there's still gonna be something behind it. Then I'll do coffee wait till I get that perfect extraction because every flavor from every adjunct is not going to extract at the same level. So everything's kind of dialed in. And obviously when you're throwing in so many, so many different quote unquote, you know, in quotes, different adjuncts, um, certain adjuncts are a little more dirty, dirty by nature. Um, this is appeals to more of my super beer nerd side, but talk to me about some of the uh like back end i mean we don't have to get into details but like how much like back end lab processes you know plates or or or, or pasteurization i mean you're you're doing so many different things with these beers and uh, you know talk to me about how you know is that is it a super stringent process like what is that end of things oh it really is i mean being of the size that we are we always got to be extremely diligent on all that any anytime i'm bringing in a raw material like again, I went and picked up vanilla beans that I've used before, but I always get a sample of that vanilla bean up to Jeff. He's one, he's, a, he's a, in our lab, phenomenal PCR uh, machine. He runs everything for micro, sees what can get picked up. If I bring in cinnamon, always get, get him a sample before it's being used. Um, see if there's any uh, beer spoiling bacteria on that. Most, hopefully most of the time there's not. If there is, we might have to autoclave X amount of this or that to kind of sanitize it before we use it. Um, so there's a lot of thought and effort. I mean, back in the day, back in my younger heydays, I'll just go buy some 
cinnamon sticks off the street corner, throw it in the barrel, and hey, hopefully nothing comes up. We call this the fuck it series. Just uh, fuck it. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, no, everything that gets used goes through um, micro before, before we use it. Love it. That's awesome. Now, uh, I definitely want to touch a little bit about the um, Brewmasters collection um, here, in a, here in a second. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors. You mentioned you're in wine country out there. I, I truly was blown away when I came out for the Firestone Walker Invitational. You know, I, I knew that, you know, the brewery was situated in wine country, but I didn't fully, I guess, understand the scope of how big that that wine country is and how extensive those wineries are around Paso Robles. Um, you know, we've all been to a ton of beer festivals, but um, I'm sure you probably have. I don't know how many people here in Colorado have been to a wine festival. If you're looking for something special to do this weekend, September 15th through the 17th, we invite you to check out the third annual Breckenridge Wine Classic. The event brings together master winemakers, wine enthusiasts, th- uh, together for an immersive three-day tasting event that includes all-inclusive tastings of diverse and distinctive wines from around the world and a bunch of a la carte events to elevate your culinary weekend. From a red meat and wine pairing to a wine and wildflowers hike, a winemaker for the day blending event, as well as two grand tasting events on both Friday and Saturday. There's a ton to experience at this elegant and educational three-day event. That's the Breckenridge, Breckenridge Wine Classic in Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, tickets are available for all events uh, at BreckenridgeWineClassic.com. So uh, on that note, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get to try the Brewmasters collection. Um, it's your all's exclusive kind of membership club that was launched last year. You know, one of the things that is truly impressive about this membership program is not only do you all bring out some truly special beers that aren't available to the public, um, it's, it's super well curated. It's well thought out to the point that, you know, each collection that you receive, you actually have a special, uh, glassware that was handpicked by Matt Brindelson. You also have some sort of, you know, keepsake memento that, that kind of, uh, draws you back to that entire experience. Um, Eric, tell me a little bit about this, this, uh, membership program, what has been the most exciting element to you as a barrel manager in terms of experimentation and, and releasing some, some smaller batch stuff that, you know, people normally don't get to experience? Yeah. So first and foremost, you sold me on the Breckenridge Wine Classic. Give me a heads up next year so I can make time and the wife and I can make it out there, visit my family in Colorado and do the Hey man, any, any wine hike, man. Yeah, Jeez. any ex- excuse to get you guys out here. I'm I'm gonna be sending you anything and everything now. Oh, I love it. That sounds that sounds like it's gonna be a blast. By the way, so yeah, the Brewmaster Collective has been a phenomenal journey. Like like you said, we started last year. We're in our second year right now, and I mean the main thing that it's allowed me to do and Matt and our team is up until the that. The club membership, bringing in the barrels. Um, every beer that we released is usually at least one to 200 spirit barrels and more. But I would always get my hands on, hey, Eric, we got 10 of these barrels. We got 20 of these. Do you want them? I'm like, sure, I'll, of course I want them. I'll take them. I want to see the flavors that I'm going to get into them. But in the end, they're going to end up being blended into 
the bigger mass because sure. we didn't have an we didn't have an outlet for just very small batch like small releases so that's matt and i have been wanting to do a club for a while one we're in wine country and almost every winery has a club membership people locals people travel here and join clubs so it just kind of makes sense for our location wise but then dumping these 15 year old old Fitzgerald barrels or whatever in a bigger batch of parabola would always kind of kill me a little bit inside. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I wish I can do. And I mean, I would do like a few kegs, like a the Firestone Invitational or something, but for the most part, it got blended in. I wasn't able to do like those small batch releases. So it's really allowed us to showcase um, the very unique and special barrels where these distilleries only empty 10 or 20 just because that's that's what they have um so it's a very so the club allows us to do these these releases that are really focused in some of the rarest barrels that we can possibly get our hands on and we get our hands on some pretty rare barrels which is extremely exciting and then it allows us to start playing around with different types of adjuncts i mean matt will tell you my the running joke when i first started working here dude i'm gonna buy vanilla beans no you don't got, uh, we don't give you many restrictions, but you're not buying vanilla beans. The next year, I'm gonna buy vanilla beans. No, you can't buy vanilla beans. I'm gonna buy vanilla beans this year. And then when the Brewmaster Collective, since the Brewmaster's on it, of course, Matt's all, dude, buy whatever you want. The, <laughs> the price is no limit. Oh my God. And now I'm just like, what's the most expensive vanilla bean you got? I'll take, <laughs> I'll, I'll take 500 pounds of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, so just uh, being able to use some pretty unique and rare um, adjuncts, maturation times. And again, I'm all about storytelling. I think all of us with our generation and even bringing other generations, when we go out to eat, I mean, yeah, it's like we, we like to know a lot more. So you were talking about how unique this this club is. Whenever, when we do a release, we always do a video and it can be live or recorded so people can open up a beer when they want, watch the video of Matt and I and Ollie and whoever talked about the story, the bait, how the beer was brewed, why we brewed the beer, what malts, what yeast strain we used, what barrels were used, where I got the barrels, what adjuncts, where I got the adjuncts from. Mm. Um, so. Any, any beer I make, and it's been like that forever for me, I, I always like to, to be able, okay, what's the story behind this beer? I'm just not making so-and-so style age in this just because I need to or it's convenience. I, I always think forward and I always want to make something that has a personal story to me that I can personally relate to. I feel when somebody kind of really puts their whole heart in something and can have a, a relatable story to it. It just makes that beer taste that much better and the story tastes that much better. So it's allowed a lot of good storytelling as well. Well, well, on that note, share with us, you know, one or two beers that you feel like you really enjoyed the story that came from it, that, that was released to that Brewmasters Collective uh, program. Yeah, so for that, for that one, I mean, one of the most memorable stories. And this one wasn't originally just specifically for the Brewmaster Collective. But what's fun about the Brewmaster Collective is yeah, we really, we have a handful of beers just only for them. Mm. 
but it also the the club members can also go into our library and buy vintage bottles that most people can't get their hands on totally. and one of the one of the vintage bottles or that they were able to buy was our mole merkin mole merkin is probably one of the most personal beers that i've ever made and and still to this day one of my favorites like flavor wise flavor wise but because of the story i mean i got a lot of mexican native american uh, heritage and i don't know are you, are you familiar with mole Mm -hmm. yep yeah moles. so in mexico there's depending on what region what area of mexico you can have green moles red moles so mo so people that don't know moles like uh it's a sauce it's a gravy you can cover it you can cover anything with it enchiladas yeah. burritos i mean add anything eat it plain but it can be spicy it can be sweet it can be red or it can be green uh it can have 10 ingredients or 100, 100 ingredients but there's always chocolate, chili peppers, cinnamon, and an array of other things. So mole merkin, uh, it was our velvet merkin, which is our milk stout, mm. aged, in aged in bourbon. I figured that milk stout would be a good base of that creamy uh, texture that you get from moles. And any Mexican grandma, always want, they want to take their recipe to their grave. They don't want to share it with anybody. <laughs> but I was able to talk to both my grandmothers tell me your recipe no no i can't tell you tell me something tell me just tell me something so with the little tidbits i got i mean they both had chocolate um numerous different chili peppers but both of them use this particular chili pepper called the chili puya mm. so i went to every mexican california we got a lot of taquerias and mexican shops so i went to every mexican shop within a 30 mile radius bought all of their dry chili puyas and i'm walking out of the markets and they're like, what do you, what do you, what do you need all this chili puya for? And I go, I'm making a beer out of this. And they're like, you're local in La Cabeza. You're crazy in the head. You're not going to make a beer with this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm going to make a beer. So I, <laughs> so I aged the beer in a bourbon, the milk stout for a year, emptied those, um, brought the dried chili puyas back to Firestone. I re, I re put toasted them, put them in our ovens to re get all the oils out of the skin. Uh, worked with a, an amazing chocolatier out of Santa Barbara, went down there, spent a couple of days with him, tasted through so many different cocoa nibs, chose the right chocolate for it, and, and cinnamon. And it's to this day one of my favorite beers, just because I think about my grandma's like, grandmother, I think about uh, eat, growing up eating uh, the moles. And every time I put sip that beer, I mean, it's, a, it's a, like an emotional beer for me. And what's That's fun awesome. is we're able to, to resell it because this was made, I made it two years, but it was not available to the public anymore. We were sitting on some in our warehouse and the only people that were able to get their hands on it was the club members. So that, that's always a fun one. So yeah, the beers that we make directly for clubs, for the club members are very small batch exclusive. But again, another another benefit of being a member is every month Michaela opens up our salary. Hey, we got a vertical of these 2016, 17, and 18, or we got the two verticals of Molly Merkin, or this or that, that we only got X amount of cases left for you guys. So Dude, that is incredible. That's such a cool story. And um, I love that you know you you're truly able to kind of dive into you know, the, the full story behind the beer and, and, and have it be something that 
is so meaningful. So thanks for sharing that, man. Um, one of the things that I have really appreciated about my friendship with you is that I, I can't remember if it was our fourth or fifth or maybe even third um, anniversary. I don't, I don't know that we've actually fully talked about it on this podcast, but back in your um, Goose Island days, you would come out to Colorado for an event. And uh, I think it was a migration week event. And we had met you there. Um, and and you, you were kind of asking like, hey, what, what are you guys up to for the rest of the weekend? And so um, it happened to be the same weekend as our porch drinking anniversary. And every year for our anniversary, we do a big bottle share. And so uh, for that one in particular, we're like, yeah, we're doing a bottle share at this, uh, this kind of like beer storage facility, this warehouse where uh, corkscrews here locally, we, they still work with us on a number of different things. But we're like, yeah, I, you know, if you guys are around, don't have plans, come on down. We'd love for you to join. Not thinking at all that you all would take that seriously whatsoever. But sure enough, like an hour or two into the into the bottle share, you roll in deep with like five cases or more of just some of the raddest Goose Island beers, barrel-aged beers that we had ever heard of or, or even gotten a chance to see. And you and your crew come in and, and truly like, you know, it's a community. It's a it's a, an opportunity to share really killer beers with, the, with each other. And, and it just meant so much that you guys uh, would come out. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's really special that now kind of 10 years later, you're still having an imprint on our anniversary. Uh, we're celebrating here in a couple of weeks uh, uh, the porch drinking 10 year anniversary beer festival here in Denver, Colorado. Um, we're, we're going to have Firestone Walker there and Parabolita will be available. And, and I truly think this is a exceptional beer. This is, this is absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I'm so honored that you all would be willing to bring it and share it with us at, at that festival. So thank you, Eric, for, for continuing kind of this tradition of being part of our, our special day. Hey Tristan, it's been it's been a pleasure having you as a friend, and I will always remember that. I talked to my wife. I told her I was coming, what I was doing today, and I brought up that story again. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Yeah. And we, I had a blast there, meeting all all of your supporters, and just hanging out with you. And that 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 day is imprinted in me, and it was fun. And it's able. It's been great seeing your journey. And now you're celebrating your 10 year anniversary and super proud, man. It's, it's been fun following you throughout the years. And I wish I could make it to the 10 year anniversary, but I'll definitely be there for the 11 for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll also hope that, uh, you know, whenever our friend Laura Lodge can bring back big beers, I know that we'll be able to reunite there too. both you and Rachel. I know that she's, she's developed a little bit of a cult following for her yoga classes. Uh, so We'll have to we'll have to catch both of you guys out on the mountain again once once you guys are able to make it back out to Colorado for a visit. Before we go, uh, I want to make sure that we plug some of the cool stuff that you all have coming up. Um, it, it's around this time that you all are releasing your anniversary beer beer blend. Is that correct? Yeah, it's pretty funny you mentioned that. I'm actually going to be um, emptying all the bourbon, all the well, not bourbon, but all the barrels for that this week, Thursday and Friday. It's going to be a two day emptying extravaganza and for those who you know for those of uh those beer fans who might not be as super familiar i think this is one of the more unique beers that still exists to this day every year uh for your anniversary you select kind of a um a, a, a select group of barrels that come from all different kinds of styles all different styles of barrel aged beers 
and bring in is it is it kind of like sommeliers and and winemakers and and people who have a background in blending is that correct yeah so what's been fun is i've been following i've been so jealous of firestone before i started working here knowing what they do for their anniversary blending and again going back on our location and being surrounded by winemakers and what wine winemakers are have a phenomenal palate they do a lot of blending so we had we met we pick a lot of the local winemakers and we're also bringing in some winemakers from napa as well here and there so we invite um certain allotment of winemakers i give them um anywhere between five to eight barrel aged beers it can be bourbon barrel aged tequila whatever i have in, the, in our barrel cellar so they sit down um they can get in teams or just an individual winery. And then they're tasting through every single sample that's on their table. And then it's about two hours. They're nitpicking every single uh, barrel. And then they make, a, they make a blend. So they might use 20% of this, 10% of this, 2% of this, 30% of this. And then after those two hours, we gotta say, all right, guys, cut it. Give us your blend sheets. Uh, Amy Crook and her lab, uh, myself, then a handful of other people go upstairs, make those blends that same day, take the blends down blinded. Like we know what they are, one, two, three, four, how many teams there are. And then every single person that's involved, whoever made it, they taste all of the blends and they choose uh, one, two, and three who they want to win. And of course, they're always pinching me, pinching my butt, you know, whatever saying, hey, Eric, which one's mine? What number am I? I'm like, come on, dude. You know, we can't share that knowledge. Yeah. They, they, well, they want to pick their blends, but it's, it's like a long event. So they, they pick the winning blends. We tally them all up uh, so it's completely fair. And then we announce the winner that same night. The winning, the winning winemaker gets, uh, I think it's been passed around for 15 years now. I don't know if you remember ever ate at Burger King. As you're a kid, you can get like that crown from crown. Burger King. So we have two crowns that have been passed around and every, whoever wins it that year, marks it up, tags it up, shows off, keeps it in their winery for that year, brings oh it back God. the following year. And it's all about bragging rights. I mean, the email threads that go on between the winemakers leading up to this event, I thought brewers talk shit to one another. <laughs> These winemakers are like hardcore. So it, it's always a blast. And it's really fun because it's stuff that I won't personally, I mean, I taste them and will I make that blend? Maybe not. Will Matt make that blend? Probably not. It's nice to get outside perspective yeah. on, uh, on the beers that we're making. So it's, it's such a fun day and it's, uh, it's, it's, all, it's usually always a different winery. I mean, we've had a handful of winemakers that have won numerous years and of course they're, they talk the most shit out of the whole group, but it, it's a blast. That's so yeah, so I'm emptying the barrels for this blend uh, Thursday, Friday. Well, for folks who, you know, are interested, we are, I think actually uh, Robert on our team, our, one of our Colorado or California co-editors has been collecting, you know, years of these anniversary blends and he's going to be doing kind of a, it's not a true vertical because the beer dip, you know, evolves every single year, but he is going to be doing kind of a, a year retrospective for I think most of the, the anniversary beers that have been released. So that's going to be coming out on the website here soon. 
Um, but also for anyone who is interested in trying this most unique kind of blend of beers, um, be on the lookout for Firestone Walker's next anniversary blend releasing later this year. Also, I know that uh, the, the Brewmasters Collective will be reopening at the end of the year. So keep an eye out on that. We'll definitely have all the details on porchdrinking.com. And you can, uh, you can kind of join this super, super, you know, unique uh, community where you get to try some truly special beers, hear all the incredible stories behind it, um, you know, take away some special mementos that, you know, not only remind you of the incredible beers that you get to try, but also represent the, the brewery and, and uh, Matt Brindelson's own personal expressions and personal touch on, on the beers that he selected. Um, it truly is an awesome program and we've been so lucky to be a part of it. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, it's always a pleasure to get to speak with you and uh, hopefully we get to reunite in person again soon. Definitely, Tristan. It's been great seeing you as well, buddy. Yeah. Special thanks to our friends at ONTAP Credit Union, Law's Whiskey House, and the Breckenridge Wine Classic. Once again, be sure to grab your tickets to the Breckenridge Wine Classic happening this weekend um, for a truly unique wine tasting experience. Um, a thank you to Brian Vanderweird, my co-host. Um, Eric Ponce, once again, it's great to have you on the show. This has been episode 16, or sorry, episode 96 of the Porchcast. And uh, be sure to grab your tickets to the Porch Drinking 10th Anniversary Beer Festival. Uh, Firestone Walker will be there. And we're, we're excited to unveil all sorts of special things for the festival in the coming weeks as well. Uh, we'll once again, this has been the Porchcast. We'll check you later.